13. I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 9. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can, be, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to this portion of your word, as we near the end of this season in Hebrews, we ask that you would build it into our lives, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. We ask by your spirit to change us and to remind us and to teach us what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the scripture says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Those are the words of Christ. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I have often benefited from hospitality uh, when I would preach at various churches. I once had a lunch with a kind family after the morning service, waiting for the evening service. I got up to use the washroom and only after hearing some strange giggling did I realize the washroom door, the washroom had two doors. <laughs> I always check now. Our preacher sees hospitality as an expression of love. He says, let brotherly love continue. He begins that way. In the ancient world, the love between siblings was more or considered to be more significant than the love between parents and children. And so the love towards brothers and sisters was very, very strong bonds there. And that's what he draws on, let brotherly love, that is those who are in Christ Jesus, the family of God, love continue, that is go on continuing, let it continue to happen, he tells the church and the Hebrews. We see that here at People's Church all the time. 
love toward each other, the siblings in Christ. We see it in the making of meals. Uh, I know a family who purchased a home with an extra apartment so they can host missionaries or Christians in need. And the Lord puts people before us all the time, here, right here every week. Some need time, some need a listening ear, some need encouragement, some need a prayer. People's Church is known for its fellowship in the community and in the community of churches. And so he says, let it continue. Take care in that sense. Don't take it for granted, but work at it and continue in it. And not only towards Christians you know, brotherly love, continue, but also towards those you don't know. And he says in verse 2, an example, he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That is, it's happening, but don't neglect it. Don't take it for granted. Remember to keep on doing this. Don't forget it. This contextually most likely refers to Christians who traveled around and needed a place to stay likely Christian missionaries, gospel preachers, going from house church to house church, they would typically stay in the house because that's where the church was, in houses at that time. They needed a place to stay and the inns, the holiday inns of the day, were breeding grounds of immorality and robbery and they were considered to be vile places and you wouldn't want to stay there and so Christians were to provide a place for those they didn't know in Christ wherever a Christian went you would seek out that house church of believers and you knew you could stay safely there in their midst Somebody would take you home. Somebody would provide for you and feed you as you traveled. It's sort of like, in a way, we, when we go to another church in some community, perhaps holidays have taken us there, and, and you go into a church and, and you're immediately welcomed there. You understand that. You're, you're a sibling in Christ with those folks there. And we have to take care here that we don't get so focused on our own family in the flesh, our family of relatives, that we forget our spiritual family, our siblings in Christ. And I, I remember at a church in South River, Ontario. I was speaking in the morning and evening there. And when I got there in the morning, <laughs> there was, uh, it was an interesting situation. There was, nobody seemed to be in charge and I, I was told no information. And, and after the service, everybody disappeared. And I went out in the parking lot and it was, the cars were all there. And I found out, I, I looked around, I found out there was a side door down to the basement. Everybody was down there eating lunch. It was like a, a barbecue thing, and I didn't even know about it. 
Um, there wasn't any food left, really, by that time. And then everybody disappeared, and I'm out in the parking lot, and no one took me home. Uh, no one had me into their home. And there was the last car to leave stopped and said, well, hasn't anybody provided for you? And I said, that's, that's fine. I said, I'll just... Uh, take a nap in my car here and wait for the evening service. And they took me home, this old couple, Irish couple. They, they fed me, they cared for me, they made sure I got a nap. Bless them for that. And, and we watched their favorite TV pre preacher. I remember it was John Hagee. <laughs> and uh, we had a great talk and, and they took me back to church in the evening and, and it, was, it was a wonderful thing. Christians have been doing that since the beginning. And, and so we're to love those from our own flock. And we are to love those from other flocks in this great sibling network that we're part of and show hospitality. Of course, we have a responsibility to be good guests too. It was understood uh, that Christians were not to stay longer than three days in anybody's home. Any longer than that, and you were considered to be a pagan because uh, uh, you were taking advantage, it was considered. Just like Proverbs says, let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. <laughs> and then Jesus teaches we're not, to, as a guest, to think too highly of ourselves. And what Paul says not to be critical of the food be put before you. That's a good plan. If they feed you food, you don't start saying, I don't like this and I don't like that. I don't know what I will ever do if somebody serves me liver. I don't know. Um, in biblical days, guests were considered to be sent by God. God ordained this. And hospitality was a sacred duty. And he says, you never know you might actually be, thereby, he says in verse 2, some have entertained angels unaware. Most likely, he's thinking of Abraham, who, who saw the three men and ran to meet them and hastened to Sarah and had her prepare food. They, they fetched the fatted calf. They, they dressed it. They, they had a, a sacred meal there, a sharing of a meal. Or Gideon who entertained the angel of the Lord. He didn't know it was the angel of the Lord. And the scripture said he got a young goat and unleavened cakes from a ephah of flour, and he put the meat in the basket and the broth in a pot, and he brought it and he presented it to them. And he discovered it was the angel of the Lord. So we're being told right off to love Christians that you know. They're in your own flock. Love each other as brothers and sisters, and to love Christians you don't know, those from other flocks who you may be intersecting for some God-ordained reason. And the third thing he says is love Christians when others don't. He says this in verse 3, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. In prison, presumably in prison because of their witness for Jesus Christ. Take care of them, he's saying, just like they are 
you. Their body is your body. Their circumstance in jail may well be your circumstance in jail at another time. Roman prisoners, of course, were, were, not, were not in prison for imprisonment. <laughs> they weren't there for Im- punishment. Roman prisons, people were put into Roman prisons to await punishment. They were there to wait judgment, the judgment. And it could take forever to be taken before a judge. It could take, as in Paul's case, a couple of years. And there's, there was no bail. There was no innocent until proven guilty. You were simply put into this vile place that was dark and damp and given basic bread and water. That's it. Everything else if you were to have anything else, had to be provided for you by those who cared about you. That's what it was like. And so if you were to have a blanket, it would have to come from somebody who cared about you. And in this sense, it would come from Christians, to Christians. Remember those who are in prison. If you were to have clothing, it would come from from the Christians. The jailers were hard. They were brutal. They were long practiced at robbing the prisoners of their blanket and their clothing. So what often happened is, if you cared about the person in prison, you would actually bed down beside them to see to their protection, to watch over them, lest everything be stripped from them that you've provided. You would be in there with them, watching out for them. And so many would even die awaiting trial. And, and it was dangerous to love. As a Christian, another Christian in jail would be very dangerous because you might end up there yourself. And so the temptation to disassociate yourself from that Christian to keep your distance from that Christian would be a very strong temptation. And Jesus here, or the the writer, the preacher takes Jesus' words about loving your neighbor as yourself here and he applies it to Christians. He says, as your own body, as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. It's like, Remember who they are. They're your sibling and you're like them and they're like you. And you stand with them. Those of you who are younger here, young people, imagine a fellow friend is being mocked or belittled by other school people because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Who are you going to stand with? Are you going to say, look at this isn't right. I'm with him, not with you. I'm with that Christian, not with you who are mocking and belittling him. It takes courage, especially when you're young. Or because of your choice to be righteous 
and pure? Will you say no to those who pick on your friend for making the same choice? No, this is not right. I'm, I'm with her, not with you. Or at work, if you hear somebody ridiculed for their faith, perhaps because they read their Bible, do you remain silent? Or do you express solidarity with them? I am them. I am not you. I am them. He says here, since you are also in the body. So he gives us three ways to appropriately love, to appropriately love in Christ Jesus, to love Christians in hard times, such as the book of Hebrews when it was written, to love Christians you know, to love Christians you don't know, and to love Christians when others don't love them. And now he turns to inappropriate love. Inappropriate love is always an unhealthy, selfish love. He says in verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral, the immoral and adulterous. God will judge that. That's serious to God. In many Christian circles, it's just, it's becoming unheard of to be sexually pure before marriage. He says, there is a defiling of the marriage bed that can be happening, physical intimacy. And the way to disparage marriage and to degrade marriage is through sexual sin. And it's serious and it's defiling. Our sexuality is only properly and safely sanctioned by God within the marriage covenant. Anything outside that covenant commitment is sin and and it's serious. No matter what our comedies tell us, no matter what our dramatic shows model for us, no matter what the social experts say or the government policies encourage or the culture says is, a, is okay. He says it's defiling, it's selfish. He's particularly talking about here adultery, isn't he? God will judge the sexually immoral. That could be many things. And adulterous, that's one thing. It's a call to fidelity It's a call to be faithful to your spouse alone. You see, anything else is selfish. Anything else is the selfish pursuit of pleasure and and it destroys. It destroys marriages. It destroys relationships. It destroys kids. It destroys the community and the country. It's becoming almost, I mean, the amount of adultery that's going on and the, and the consequent uh, destruction of marriages is just vast across our country. 
to be faithful to your spouse alone. And then the second inappropriate love, he says, again, a selfish thing, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Don't love money. We're not to be greedy or miserly. We are to be givers. And remember our study in Matthew 6 about almsgiving and being ready to give and bless. And I mean, we use money, we have money, we gather money, we spend money, we save money, but we're not to love money. The danger is to love money. What it does is it draws us into the cultural materialistic mindset and that idea that we never have enough or that what we have is always to be spent on ourselves. And it's such a selfish thing. And for sure, if you're getting caught up in sexual sin and the love of money, you're not going to be opening doors, your doors to strangers, hospitality, or providing for Christians in jail for Christ, or loving, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ in practical, real ways. We're facing, of course, as you know, the current specter of inflation and food chain issues, apparently monetary struggles. They're not to frighten us or obsess us because God supports us. God provides for us. He says, be content with what you have. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We trust in the Lord. God provides, God supports, and if he wants to give us manna in the desert, he can do so. If he wants to make water come from a rock, he can do that too. We don't need to fear the coming days, and we are to keep money in its proper place. It's a call to contentment and satisfaction and trust in the Lord, not trusting in money. So he's outlined an appropriate love to love your fellow Christians in the body of Christ and to love those Christians who are strangers to you and to love Christians when others don't. It's a very selfless love, of course, as Christ selflessly loved us and gave his life for us that we might be forgiven of our sins, that we might be brought into the family of God and have a future with the Father. And he tells us then inappropriate selfish love, cultural, culturally, it's always been the same. It can be defiling of the flesh and it can be so self-absorbed and greedy and miserly and it will displace God in your life. If you're a materialist or caught up in sexual sin, God is displaced from your life. He's not in the proper place. And your love is diminished. 
It's something to repent of. If you're a materialist, caught up into sexual sin, to take it to the Lord and repent, be forgiven and walk in a new path, the one he outlines here of appropriate love. He finishes with an invitation, a command to remember those who spoke the word. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember them, he says. That is, they lived amongst you. They came to you selflessly. They evidenced selfless, appropriate love. The Greek here is pointing to past leaders who weren't around anymore. Perhaps they were martyred. Perhaps they went to jail themselves. Perhaps they moved on to start other churches or other places. But they were faithful and they were selfless at great cost. And he says, remember them. They didn't turn from their faith. <laughs> they were steadfast and, and caring and, and unwavering and loving. And then, of course, this brings us to Christ, where he says in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Most likely when he says yesterday, he's referring to the atoning work of Christ on the cross, the sacrifice made for our sin. And today is that present intercessory work at the Father's right hand that he's told about us, uh, told about in earlier in this chapter. And forever is that future eternal reign that is Christ can be relied on and he's reliable and he's loving, he's trustworthy, he is completely and utterly selfless and always is, always was and will be. I wonder what our capacity to love is right now. What is your capacity to love right now? Some of you over the last few years with the world events and the COVID and all of these things, you have suffered broken relationships. Maybe families have been fractured. Friends perhaps have been lost. We've lost some even from our number here. And perhaps you've experience the pain of this. It's risky to love and it can be painful when it goes wrong. And some of you are just tired. You're tired and you want to self-isolate a little bit. It's not so much being told to isolate anymore. It's like, well, I just want to hide from people for a while. I want to hide from people and avoid the arguments and the disagreements and the frustrations. And, and then with all the bad news that brings such negativity into our lives, our capacity to love 
can feel so diminished and even hollow. I think some of you feel a little hollowed out. A few years ago at Fair Havens, this elderly couple asked Charlene and I to visit uh, at their room. And so we went over and we visited, we went in and he brought, he, he brought out this beautiful bowl that he had made. And they told us the story of their lives and they told us of the great grief in their life. And that great grief was that long ago they had a daughter and as a teenager, she had cancer. And how she wanted to finish high school before she died. And she, she passed away. And you could just still see the pain. And he said, the way that he has coped, the father said, was to collect burls of wood you know burls are those out outgrowths on trees those strange sort of bulbous things that can grow on a tree he would collect those and and then he would put them on his turning machine and and he would hollow them out and he would make these bowls and he said the hollowing of the burl reminds them about how their hearts grieve for their daughter. But it reminds them too that something so, so ugly and empty can become something so beautiful and so useful when God is in it. And so they gave us this bowl. We think of him when we see it. You might be feeling that your capacity to love is empty and, and hollowed out by what's going on in our world and in, in your own life. But God, I mean, God is the God of living water. And he pours it out and he, he revives us. And he fills us. And even when our hearts feel hollow, the scripture says that we're actually in the hollow of God's hand. That he is caring for us and holding us. And making something beautiful and useful, possible, through us. Your capacity to love is more than you realize. Your capacity to love is greater, greater every day in Christ, greater than any pain, greater than any grief, greater than any frustration. Remember, 
to love what he loves. Because if you don't, you'll love what the world loves. And the world loves pleasure. And the world loves money. But Christ loved us and gave himself for us selflessly. And we're called to, to love each other selflessly with a brotherly love, a, a sibling love. And to love Christians who are strangers to us with that love. And to for sure to love Christians when no one else does to stand with them. I'm with them, not with them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ Jesus and his love and your love, Father, the love of the Trinity bestowed on us and that we might be called the family of God, that we might be called Christian because of all that he did for us on the cross. And we pray, Lord, that our love might not cease, not become self-focused and selfish like our cultures, but that we would be watchful for each other and careful opportunities to show hospitality and to listen even today to listen to pray with someone to celebrate someone to care for someone here and elsewhere father as brothers and sisters around the city and county and across our land and in war areas and grieving and and lord may we have the courage to stand with christians when they suffer for their faith when they are mocked or ridiculed, give us that courage to say, no, this is not right, this is not good, and to stand with them because they are us and we are them. We are of the same body. We'll need your help for that courage. Give it to our young people, especially as they face this world. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.